Hello and welcome to the Taking Social Stock podcast. This is episode 10. Taking Social Stock is hosted by me, Andrew. And me, Heather. So this week in episode 10, I picked out an article that at first I was going to save for a future week because I didn't want it to come across necessarily as political with the election just ending because the title might seem that way. (laughs) But it was more some of the other things that happened throughout the week that made me say, okay, I think it would be a good one to go for. Also, in part, I forgot what the other article I'd picked was. Okay. But this article was from the Harvard Business Review, which is an excellent resource if you're looking for any kind of management articles. And there's a lot of free stuff on their website. Yeah, and even beyond management, just uh, uh, relationship, like co-professional relationship. Yeah, professional relationship management. And it's just a great resource, especially for new managers, in my opinion. So the title of the article is Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders? Written by Tomas Shimoro. Uh, I can't say his last name. It was written in 2013. And this guy is professor of, I think, psychology? Yeah, I believe at Columbia University. Uh, also other schools. Uh, at, at By trait, it seems like he's an organizational psychologist, if you wanted to siphon it down. Yeah, business psychology at the University College in London, Columbia University, and he's an associate at Harvard's Entrepreneurial Finance Lab. He's done some TED Talks, and he's written a few books. Mm. So the gist of this article, well, before we get into that, I'll ask you, what would you say is the reason why so many incompetent men become leaders or managers? Yeah. Well, before I answer that, I just want to say we're on episode 10. It's double digits. It is. That's a big deal. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Now I'll answer the question. So why do I think that is because I, well, I really already thought what the article said. They just said it in better words that men generalization here have more hubris than women. Uh, actually, I've known this for several years because years ago I'd read an article talking about how men and women apply for jobs. So it's, again, been several years. The numbers might be a little off, but they're pretty close, which is like men will apply for jobs that they're like 40% qualified for, but women will apply jobs for jobs that they're like 60 to 80% qualified for. Yeah, nothing in this article surprised me, but it did leave me feeling validated. So to get into the article, the author starts out with, there are three popular explanations for the clear underrepresentation of women in management. Namely, number one, they're not capable. Number two, they're not interested. Or number three, they're both capable and interested, but unable to break the glass ceiling. That invisible barrier based on prejudice stereotypes that prevent women from ascending up the corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. And he kind of goes down, and I think you'll get into this, about the different personality types you may think the different ways. But he kind of presents that these are the three reasons if you ask someone off the street why a woman doesn't get these positions of leadership that they might give you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of like the big themes. They're not nuanced. I did like how he broke it down because, again, it made it relatable for people. So saying, okay, so generalizations, people who think women... Uh, aren't leaders. It's they. They say they're not capable, and it tends to be conservatives or chauvinists. The people who say, you know, they're interested and capable, but they can't break that glass ceiling, are liberals and feminists. And then the the second bucket that he talked about, which is they're not interested, is he said, kind of people in between those two groups. But really, what I thought was like, who thinks that? Who thinks women aren't interested? Yeah. yeah. I can think of some people, we've definitely known 
people who think, well, a woman's role is to be a mother and we've known women who that's their goal. So there, I could see there's some people, but I wouldn't think it's many. Mm-mm. No. And, you know, I think about like, you know, we've had lots of talks about this over the years and even this past week about how we've changed over the years. When we started out at a Bible college, I only planned on going there for a couple of years to get like an associate's. And uh, so this was never a big interest to me. But I look back now and I'm like, oh, the women who went there, they couldn't get a preaching degree. They were locked into like a children's ministry degree, I think. So all these, uh, you know, it's not only religion, but we see that a lot where people get categorized on what women can or cannot do. And to get a little further into the article here, they kind of are more focusing on, in some ways, what people view as a leader mm-hmm. and the reason why the you know men who apply for roles are not capable of is because more men often, I guess, display confidence when they don't have competence. Some might say hubris, but it is confidence, yes. Yeah. And those two words, very similar. So yeah. confidence versus competence. Yeah. And we've all seen this. So the guys who are very outspoken, who are like, I can do anything, are going to make people believe that because if they're willing to get up there and say it, we don't often make them put up or shut up. Yeah. It's more like, okay. I've like, been around some of those guys in the workplace and you're like, what in the world is happening? I think we all have to some degree. Yeah. I'm fortunate enough there's not a ton of that in my workplace currently, but yeah, we've seen it. And it's another one of those like you've heard. Oh, you know, like men who are tall or men who um, are people who are thin versus overweight. Mm -hmm. Like they do better. They get more promotions. They move up the chain. Mm -hmm. And I think to some degree that's true because people associate if you're overweight, you're lazy. It's like unconscious biases. Yeah. These biases people put on people they don't know. The confidence part definitely is something we've talked about when it comes to job interviews. If you go in and you're confident in the interview and something we've told people to do is be confident in that's going to go a long way, even when your resume isn't what what you think you need to be at mm-hmm. to get the role. And that confidence makes people believe you're competent. But yeah, that's charisma, charm. Those are all factors that play into that mentality that this is a leader. This is what we think a leader looks like. They're acting like what I think a leader should act like. So therefore, they must be one. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, there was there's something in... You brought this up because I know typically we should say this. We don't really talk about the articles we're going to read before we we meet together. But one of the things you brought up and didn't talk about in depth, though, is was the narcissism part. And I thought and I wanted to hear your thoughts more on that. Oh, so later in the article, it does say like there's this part of it that people have like a self-repressed narcissism where they then when they see people are acting it out they latch onto it as kind of like an outward expression of their internalized narcissism. Mm -hmm. In that same brief conversation we had about it, it's because a lot of people by nature are followers. Mm -hmm. You know, they're looking for someone to tell them what to do. If you have someone who's very outspoken, it'll tell you everything they think. and Whether or not it's factual. Yeah, and that they're the best thing ever. Some people are just going to latch onto that and run with it. Yep. And, well, that's what it takes to be a leader is to have people who are following you. Yeah. Though this article reports that that's not what it takes to be a successful leader all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is something that really stuck out to me is it's kind of this bad cycle, right? Like the things that will get people, and this could be women as well, but again, it's overwhelmingly men, which is why we're 
focusing on men for this. Not to say that some women wouldn't fit into this this stereotype or into this box by any means. Plenty of plenty do. But saying the things that get men into these positions are also the the same qualities that make them failures in it that that could bring them down, that could bring down their their businesses, their teams because hubris only goes so far. Confidence without competence behind it is it's just kind of a smoke and mirrors, right? Mm-hmm. Versus the the women tend to carry more traits such as humility, thoughtfulness. Uh, I think they talked about risk aversion. I would say I my opinion is more take more thoughtful risks when there are risks and that helps sustain people, teams, organizations over time. Yeah, and talking about the risk taker and risk aversion part, that's something that came up when I was in business school is, you know, one of the key requirements of a leader, especially senior leadership roles, is the ability to make a decision. Decision paralysis is definitely a thing, and that's a key trait of a leader is the ability to make decisions. But the risk aversion versus risk-taking you will see whenever companies are making like capital expenditure decisions, it really plays out there. So a lot of senior leaders tend to be, they don't take like the middle risk. They either take very risk averse or they only go for the home runs. Like no risk or we're doing everything. We yeah. could lose it all. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways that is just pure risk aversion. Like if you're only willing to take the biggest risk and you're not willing to take the middle bets. Okay. That's like a 100% risk aversion in my opinion because- or not risk aversion, risk taking. Okay. Like the people who are more risk averse are going to take the middle ground risk because they're weighing the payoff mm-hmm. versus, you know, it's kind of like the soccer bets. If you go to casino, like there's always these bets at tables that are like, they basically never hit. The odds are absolutely terrible. But if you do win, you're going to get the like 500 to one payout. Yeah. And a lot of people will just play those every time because it's a low stakes, but potentially big payoff. Though the expected value of that bet is the lowest on the table. Yeah. If you're working with people, I think another way to look at that is what option it could potentially yield helping people the most, but which what's the harm risk? What's going to like what's going to um cause the least amount of harm? Well, when you talk about companies, they don't really care <laughs> a lot of times about the harm or I'm the benefit they cause people. Thinking about where my mind goes, man. They're looking and this is the job of a for-profit company is to figure out what makes the most money for their shareholders. Yeah. So that that's what drives their decisions, not necessarily, you know, in a good organization, it should be the harm or help to their employees. Yeah. Like a double bottom line, but that's not reality for a lot of Correct. places. Yeah. Now, the real bottom double line, this is way off topic, but the real bottom double line is what makes the senior leader look the best and what makes the shareholders the most money. Yeah. A lot of times it's called the agency problem. The senior leaders will pay more attention to what makes them look good which is why you get into the all or nothing kind of gambles where it's, I'm going to take the biggest risk because if I hit it, I look like a superstar. And if I don't get it, I can just play it off. Yeah. I would versus, say- versus if you take those middle risk where they're going to say, well, did you not do enough research enough? That was good. Like you have to justify that decision mm-hmm. versus the home runs or no risk. Yeah. I'd say more like where my mind goes, it's more like a nonprofit or social entrepreneurship. It That double bottom line looks- a little bit different, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yes. I guess in some ways in nonprofits, so comparing our organizations where you work, Heather, there is a lot more female leadership. Mm-hmm. And there's been quite a bit for a number of years. Yeah. 
my organization, we do have a couple female leaders, but the vast majority is men. Yeah. And I think probably in some parts. And it's like particularly white men, right? Yes. Yeah. But I think in some parts, nonprofits are more social minded and servant leadership based. Yeah. So you're going to end up with more women who, you know, according to this article, according to what most people have seen, exhibit more humility and selflessness than necessarily you see in men all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, in a for-profit business, you're going to look for uh, that confidence. I think that is a key role in promotion a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things talked about, like, best leaders are usually humble. But again, that goes to sustaining it, not necessarily getting the role. And I even think about the, of on our most senior leadership team at the organization where I work, there are five people and four of the five are women. And I would say... You know, I think they have different communication styles, different approaches, different backgrounds to varying degrees. But I would say that there is humility in all of them. And that makes, I think, them sustainable before, while they're, before they were with us, while they're here and whatever their journey in the future looks like over time. In some ways, that's where corporate America has missed out. I've told you many times about this Mark Cuban quote where he believes that more organizations will and should be hiring social workers yeah, for profit in their for yeah, profit. That's business. encouraging. Yes. His whole reasoning is, is that's a skill set that the for profit world often doesn't have and that they need more of if they want to succeed. A key part of that is the team building aspect. So the narcissistic, confident leader who may not have the competence isn't going to. He'll be able to get the followers. People will look up to him. But can he actually help them achieve their goals, which at the end of the day is really what what a leader is looking to do is you got to get the the team to be successful for you to be successful. Mm -hmm. Can't just say like we hit our sales goal. You got to back it up. Yeah, 100 percent. Correct. Um, This something that stuck out to me and it's while I'm thinking about it is that this is an international issue. It's not just an American, you know, issue, which I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging, to be honest, but does that surprise you that this is an international issue? Thinking from yourself as a white white guy. No, not at all. Yeah. I think we, of course, we have our first female pr- vice president-elect yeah. in the U.S. She Ele- shattered a glass ceiling. Yeah. Regardless of what people think of her, she did that. Yeah. But you look at other countries, like some of the ones they mentioned in the article, they've had female leaders, prime ministers, things like that. So we're behind in that regard, I think. But when it comes to corporate, no, I don't think so because corporations are, for the most part, they're only in, you know, the biggest ones are in the industrial nations like the U.S., Germany, China, and Japan. And a lot of those cultures are still very men-centric like the U.S. So I'm not surprised. And also in those countries, these are multinational corporations, so their employee pool is coming from generally those same countries yeah you're right so i think when we look at u.s business a lot of people always want to think like whatever like their favorite u.s brand is a u.s company like Mm coca-cola nothing's more american than coca-cola maybe (laughs) but only 40 percent or something of their revenues well of their operations are in the u.s they make most of their money here they lose a lot of money in other countries but they're not just a u.s country or company at all that's where exactly where my mind went was like i just think of it domestically it's almost like uh it's very segregated, but you're right. Like, they're things that we view as national. They're really international a lot of the times. Yeah. So, no, I think of the businesses we see, especially ones where there are 
different levels of management versus very flat, small organizations, it's not too surprising that this is a common trend in other cultures. I think in some ways, we're definitely not progressive in this regard, but the chauvinist and machismo Mm -hmm. is still a very built-in trait in some parts of the world. Yeah, I mean, and, and here, too, in the yeah. U.S. to a certain degree. I said and we're I th- not progressive in yeah. that regard at all. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, I think that is something where I'm, there's still moments where I feel surprised by that, that we've not moved further on that path. And then I get mad at myself because I'm like, why am I surprised? Women have only been able to vote, what, 100 years? White this, women. Yeah, yeah, white women for 100 years. Black women, far fewer years. Yes. You know, because, well, the civil rights was... In the 60s or whatever. Yeah. But even then, yeah. most black women weren't really able to vote. Even today. It's Very different topic than what we're talking about yes. today. But no, I'm I'm not surprised now. Of course, it's not promising for me because with my education, with my career goals, my aim is management and leadership type roles. And I can see the mentality at least of where someone would be like, I don't want women in those roles because it's one less for me i don't think that way better not (laughs) (laughs) but you know i can see the idea but there's not like there's a limit of roles yeah kind of one of the things about if capitalism is working correctly the more people you have the more jobs there are so it's like an unending cycle so that's why immigration is not necessarily a bad thing for capitalism another topic Mm -hmm. it's not like there's not going to be enough roles especially because there is a need of competency and only what 13 percent of u.s americans have graduate degrees not that that makes you uh, automatically qualified for leadership roles it just kind of is an indication of how many people are seeking that career path yeah if you and if you're a man and you can produce confidence whether it's earned or not and then also have competence chef's kiss to that right like yeah well, yeah. no, and I, this article kind of mentions you need to also have that servant heart mentality, you know, your team first. To stay in the role. To succeed in the role. Yes. And I think to to really, to build a career out of that, mm-hmm. hopefully in the future, that core competency becomes more important. Well, I think you'll be fine with all of that. And I just say when, when you get there, you better keep an eye on those women who are looking to, to oh, lift them. Oh, I will. Them- <laughs> To lift them up into senior leadership roles around you and with you. Of course. Um, And maybe some social workers, but I get enough of that. (laughs) Well, did you have anything else you wanted to add on the topic? I don't think so. I think, you know, nothing in the article felt brand new to me, but it felt validating, of course, especially being um, in a time where you're like, you, you know, as a woman, any woman could identify with this. Sometimes when men will talk at you, you know, there's at least an part of it that they're doing some of them are doing it because you're a woman and there's that's nothing you can you know that's just what it is and you just you know like it's not surprising it's not hurtful it's frustrating um once you realize that like that's a thing but the article was also written in 2013 so to see you know thinking seven years ago that that's a long time in a lot of ways it's a little bit disheartening that doesn't like the article could have been written yesterday but, um, yeah, it's validating, I guess, is what I would say. I think the one major change you would see if this was written today versus seven years ago is the more inclusion, especially yes. from an article like this. Well, you didn't even know what I'm including. No, I my mind went somewhere. Go ahead. My 
mention would be a non-binary oh, okay. person. Obviously, that is a a long road probably in the corporate world. And it's something, just being honest, we'll probably talk more about non-binaries or more, I don't want to call it new, but like more, um, man, what would be, the, I don't know what the right word would be, but these are topics that I'm not well-versed in. I It's kind of my point. Mm-hmm. So they're new to me. Yep. They're not new issues, but they're newer to me. Yes. And I'm not well-versed in them. So we will talk about that stuff in the future because it's obviously something that's increasingly important for companies to think about. And if my goal is to one day have more input in my organization, something I feel like I should also be educated on. Yeah, that's, yeah, true. 100% true to that. And glad that that is your approach. That is so important. You're right. I shouldn't, where my mind went and I got too excited and cut you off. So sorry about that is that um, where I went was this, a lot of times when you're talking about disparities between men and women, it is implicitly has racial undertones by nature because a lot of times it's white men and white women is who really the the mind the the audience is in mind mm. so you know i think even if it were to be written today it'd be interesting to see if they included some demographics and what that meant for white women black women hispanic women native women etc yeah Asian women, yeah. All the women. Yeah. All the different, well, different women groups. I don't know. Don't know the proper terms. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. A little bit of a shorter episode trying to get back down. Yeah. But this has been episode 10 of Taking Social Stock. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at takingsocialstock at gmail.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. 